Hello, sinners, saints, brothers, and sisters. I am so glad that you're here for another episode where we will inevitably explore our joy, shake our fists, and try to find our way in the midst of this chaotic world. Sinner Saint Sister really hopes to remind people that you are never, ever alone. So if you like today's episode, please share it with a friend. Maybe share it with your Bible study. Leave a review and like and subscribe. Look for extras on YouTube at youtube.com slash Allison Sullivan. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center State Sister. My husband is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I say that unequivocally, and I mean it. He is the most tangible proof that God adores me. However, our first year of marriage was a little rocky. We had moved from Japan, and we were living in San Diego, which, with its beaches and zillion-dollar homes and perfect weather, frankly, it felt nothing like home, my piece of Texas that I loved. I felt far away from anything familiar, and the one person who I had to rely on was really ticking me off. While we didn't get married that late in life, it was later than most of our friends, and it was enough time to accumulate plenty of baggage and develop a lot of bad habits. We were also quite used to calling our own shots. We had a lot to learn about teamwork. We had gotten away with a lot in the years leading up to one another. Intensely in love, but broken. Prideful. Selfish and immature. We were bad at marriage. And it was a lonely time for me. Not one single thing in our marriage was coming easily. After an awful fight the night before, I texted my husband one day letting him know that I would not be coming home after work. Something he would never do. I didn't know where I was going, but it wouldn't be anywhere near him. Did anyone else have the ridiculous idea that once you were married, somehow even fights would be romantic? Oh, honey, you forgot to take out the trash again. Well, there is nothing romantic about crying in an empty library and Googling if proper etiquette says you should return wedding gifts if you only stayed married eight months. I taught middle school at the time, so after school let out, I went home and packed a bag of essentials and went downtown to just walk around because I didn't have a plan yet, but I needed some fresh air. I walked around with a knot the size of my fist where my heart should have been, and I tried not to draw attention to myself as I cried looking for a hotel that didn't cost too much but wasn't scary. Downtown, there were always people asking for money, holding up their signs, and this time, as I walked those streets, avoiding my life, for the first time ever, I felt a sort of kinship with the people in their signs. The signs that touched me the most were the ones that said, need help. I needed help. So I did something I had never done before. And I sat down next to someone who was asking for money. Her sign said, we all need some grace. Anything helps. The word grace caught my attention. I'd never seen that one before. I assumed she was a believer. And she had on Wrangler jeans and too much eyeliner and had teased her hair, it seemed. And all of those things reminded me of home, so I liked her right away. I happened to have a pocket full of quarters because I would sometimes bribe my unruly students with them, and she had a little dog with her, so it was easy to sit down and make some conversation. The dog was a risk-free audience, and my pocket full of change was insurance that I had at least a little something to offer. With my hand out for her dog to sniff, I knelt down beside her, and eventually I put my back up on the same wall that she was leaning against. When she saw that I was getting comfortable, she looked at me and said, Hey, honey. I smiled, probably a bit wearily, and asked her how she was doing. She said, oh, I'm hanging in there. How about you, honey? 
And for some reason, maybe it was her genes, maybe it was that she called me honey, but probably it was her dog. I told her the truth. I can't explain it, but I told her that I wasn't sure my marriage was going to make it. I told her I didn't understand how two people could love each other so fiercely and yet hurt each other so deeply. I told her that I was lonely and that I wanted to go home. I told her that my mom's house smelled like roast and that was where I really wanted to be. I told her I wanted to start over. A redo. I needed a redo. And she let me talk for a while. She stared at her shoes. She didn't say a word. But when she looked up, her eyes were filled with tears, and they told me that she understood exactly how I felt. Her eyes told me that everything I had just said, was it was a part of her story, too. It was kind of awkward after that, because I didn't know what to say anymore, and it seemed she had committed to not saying anything. Maybe somewhere along her journey, she had learned that that was best. So I reached in my pocket, and I gave her a handful of quarters, and she took them and patted me on the knee. I talked to her dog a little bit, and then I said I should probably get going. As I stood up, she asked me my name, and when I told her, she said she would pray for me. The person asking for change was going to pray for me. And my eyes welled up, and I asked her her name, Ruth. Her name was Ruth, and I told her that I would pray for her too. As I walked away, she said, the answer's in grace, honey. You can't ever run out of second chances. You're not the only one who needs a redo. That husband of yours does too. The short story is that something completely supernatural happened after I shared a wall with Ruth. Something about my time with her made me willing to go home and forgive my husband and ask for his forgiveness too. I was actually excited to do it. I raced to our tiny apartment to try to make it as homey as possible in there before he got home. I tidied up. I lit candles. I put on our favorite music. I made a roast. I watched him walk up the stairs to our apartment, and he was holding these flowers upside down with the blooms all wrong. Were they just in case? When he saw me there, he dropped the flowers on their heads and scooped me up. And even though we were in this awful fight and no reconciliation had happened, there was something about seeing each other in that moment that made us forget it all. We grinned knowing that there was a lot of work to do, but also knowing that we would do it, whatever it was. That's the short story of that day. But the long story is that Ruth taught me something transformational. Someone like Ruth, the people holding their signs, they weren't as simple as maybe I would have liked to think. I shared a wall with Ruth and I learned that we shared heartaches. We shared hope. And that was just one conversation. Imagine what a whole friendship might teach me. Mother Teresa said that we think sometimes that poverty is just being hungry or naked or homeless. But instead, the poverty of being unwanted or unloved or uncared for, that is the greatest poverty of all. I wish I knew where Ruth was today. I wish I knew how she was doing. I still pray for her, and I hope that you will too. There's a lot that happens around the world that we cannot control, but when we know where the hungry are, when we know where the homeless are, when we know where the sick are, then we can help. That is what Dan Canary has committed his life to, and I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say. Do you have the important task of leading people to worship through music at your parish? Liturgy.com makes it easy to plan music and prepare the liturgy for your parish. You can prepare for Mass more easily than ever with the features that you love. 
which is the ability to save and share and print your outlines, audio and sheet music previews, expert song suggestions. And now it is more affordable than ever with three new subscription options, premium, plus, and a free basic option. Join today by visiting liturgy.com just in time to prepare for the Advent and Christmas season. And if you'd like to check it out for yourself, just go sign up for a free subscription. Hello and welcome to the studio, Dan Canary. I'm so glad that you're here. You are our first in-studio guest. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be the first one. What honor. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so um, we had some technical difficulties yesterday, and so I've told you this now a couple of times, but I would like for the audience to at least know that, um, so Mary Magdalene is my very favorite person in the Bible, but tied are then John the Baptist and Peter. And um, I love John the Baptist because he was so um, like focused, you know, like he had this very specific mission and he gave this message and he did it without a whole lot of earthly authority. He had, you know, godly authority only. And people were just really drawn to the truth of his words. And he was never losing sight of his mission the entire time. Like it didn't matter to him that thousands were flocking to him. Um, But he was just there to point people to Jesus Christ. He wanted people to get baptized before Jesus came. Like he was preparing people for Jesus. And um, to me, Dan, you are just this John the Baptist character in my life because in Instead of telling me to get baptized, to get ready for Jesus, you are telling me to live like Jesus, to get ready for heaven. And I, I just love it. And I hope that that doesn't sound like, you know, too much or or like (laughs) pressure or something. Um, But I just admire you so much. We have um, participated in a handful of protests together and you help me um, know the poor and know what people are struggling with because you have befriended the poor. You have made these people your friends. And um, you have started an organization to help people who are experiencing homelessness, Tiny Hope Village. I can't wait to hear all about it for you to tell us all about it. Um, Welcome to the show. Can't wait for the rest of this conversation. (laughs) Well, thank you, because John the Baptist is one of my favorites and primary inspirations. Yes. Oh, good. I will. You're nailing it. I I love him so much. So I always ask people to introduce themselves to kind of let the listeners know who they are by telling us who and what you love. All right. Well, I really love my wife and my three daughters. They're the biggest part of my life and they bring me the most joy. Um, I really love our community members who are who I'm involved with in various ways, whether it's the board members and residents at Tiny Hope Village, our nonprofit, or whether it's um, folks involved with activism or our friends on mm-hmm. the streets who come to the meals we host. Mm-hmm. Um, those are who I love. Awesome. Um, okay, so tell us, you, you mentioned it, uh, Tiny Hope Village uh, as a nonprofit. Tell us exactly what that nonprofit does. Okay, Tiny Hope Village, uh, it's a tiny housing solution for people who've been experiencing homelessness in the area. And it's permanent housing. The residents don't have to leave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our primary goal is dignity and support for for the residents with the residents. Um, So we've purchased seven acres of land. We're in the process of building a community of 24 homes. And um, we're really excited that the first two residents are about to move in. Ah, that is so exciting. That is really, really exciting. Um, I feel like in mainstream media, um, people who are experiencing homelessness are either 
vilified or glorified. And there's very few things that we have to, to take in socially um, or in our culture that let us know who who's really affected or, or what it's really like. And so I, I think that what can happen is that the notion is that homelessness is somewhat of a choice. It's because you either um, you didn't study hard enough or you're you're not looking for a job. Um, can you help point us to what is actually going on in your experience, who this is affecting, um, and then maybe how to change our perceptions? Mm-hmm. Sure. I'll start with saying that we want to either make homeless people into the worthy saints or the villains because it's very uncomfortable to think of them as just like us. Yeah. If you think of uh, people experiencing homelessness as just like me, then it becomes very painful to think of them as sleeping outside. I, I've never met anyone who voluntarily chooses homelessness in my whole ministry. Hmm. Um, the couple of people I met who had other options and chose homelessness, it was mental illness that was uh, really profound that was driving them, which mm-hmm. really wasn't a choice that they were making. Sure. It was imposed upon them. So, um, Whenever we started getting involved with the lives of folks experiencing homelessness, one of the first things I noticed was almost all of them were working. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't this laziness. There was, they were working at uh, labor-ready, day labor contractors building our community. Um, they were working with roofing companies. Some of the folks who are in our community who are the most recognizable, who people think are unemployed, actually do a lot of work. Um, so that was one thing that was surprising to me and really changed my perspective. Yeah. So um, really the thing we need to accept is that there's no such thing as the homeless. There's just our neighbors who are really just like us fundamentally who are experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. And that really uh, changes our perspective in a good way. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. So we have this higher cost of living and then we have Mm -hmm. these unchanging wages, right? Um, i I feel like all of us have a little more appreciation for something, maybe just one thing going wrong. I mean, how many of us are a paycheck or a couple of paychecks away from potential devastation? You know, we might have a lot of support. We might have a a wide safety net. Um, But I feel like a lot of us have a new appreciation for that. Um, Have you seen any changes in people experiencing homelessness lately or who it might be affecting? Is there a wider range? Yes. Uh, well, there, there's more, more people. Um, it's expanding in the area and the outlying counties. I imagine that's happening nationally, but mm-hmm. I know it's happening here locally. Mm-hmm. You notice it more. Everyone I talk to who works with homelessness is seeing more of it. So I think the economy is the primary driving force with the, uh, and that part of it was COVID. Um, mm-hmm. Part of it is the low wages and the rising cost of housing mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, the lack of affordable housing that's just not being built. Mm -hmm. So you have chosen a housing first model. And I would imagine that, you know, when we think about something as as pervasive and as tragic as homelessness, there are probably a lot of divergent views. There's probably a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about how we should tackle this together as a community. You have obviously chosen a, a housing first model. Is is there a reason for that? Did you was this intentional? Yes. Um, so for years, we tried to help people get into homes or we accepted them into our own homes or mm-hmm. paid for a short term in a motel. And we had this idea that we were going to help people get back on their feet that way. And we realized really quickly that we were 
really unsuccessful at that and we're unable to do so. Mm-hmm. And so we've learned, we learned about housing first and we think it's very true that everything begins with access to a home, mm. whether it's finding a job, whether it's getting treatment for any kind of mental health or addiction, right. everything begins with uh, having a home. Stability. Mm, stability, a, safety, yeah, uh, yeah. dignity. Um, and really that is the success. The success is not what happens after that. The success begins and for a lot of people just ends with having a home. Yeah. You know, you got people who, if they can survive on the street, having a roof over the head that they have access to and don't have to leave, you know, how much better can they survive right. in that situation? Wow. Yeah. Or here's another, you know, thing I was thinking is, you know, here I am um, with no disabilities to speak of. I mean, a good support system, a, a lot of family. And I think about getting a couple of bad nights of sleep in my own bed and mm-hmm. how, you know, and how that this is making me emotional, but how balances can tip um, with just that. I mean, how can balances, how greatly balances might tip having very little support and sleeping out on a street for, so it, in a way I'm kind of, just think having this revelation now of which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, it's mm-hmm. like this mental stability over this structural physical stability. I mean, you know, which causes which? Well, I don't know the answer to that for everyone, but I know that the few times that I've been homeless, the feeling of abandonment was mm. so overwhelming and mm. so depressing. Mm. And so I know that homelessness causes a lot of things. And, uh, Whenever I was sleeping outside, outside of a church or whatnot, mm-hmm. um, that was the greatest temptation to numb my pain some kind of way mm-hmm. or to seek human companionship in some kind of unhealthy way or whatnot, mm-hmm. just because you kind of, it's a very desperate and painful situation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. In addition to the lack of sleep and the lack of having what you need physically, there's almost a greater lack of what you need spiritually and socially. Wow. Gosh. Um. So. You know, as a community member with you, Dan, I watch you um, advocate for all kinds of marginalized people. Um, how did you narrow your focus, you know, for your work um, to people experiencing homelessness? Why is that important to you? I was reading the Gospels about 16 years ago, trying to understand how it was directing me to live. And I realized that it was essential for me to be in contact and having friendships with people who are marginalized in my community. Um, you might say the poor, the lame and the blind or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. theologically. And so one of the first thoughts was, well, there, people experiencing homelessness certainly fit into that uh, group of folks who I want to meet Jesus through. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we learned that uh, there's a place where you can get a free meal Monday through Friday. Anybody in the whole community, you or I could go. Mm-hmm. I've eaten there many times. Uh, it's like a soup kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't serve on the weekends to people who weren't staying at the shelter. So mm-hmm. we found that to be an opportunity to get involved. So we started mm-hmm. doing potluck meals at a park where people experiencing homelessness would hang out. Mm-hmm. And so that was just our way into the homelessness kind of community. And through my relationships there, I just came to fall in love with uh, the folks who came to our meals. Yeah. Um, So what do people experiencing homelessness need and what can the average person do? That's what I'd like to know. One thing they need is welcome. Mm. They need welcome. And that could be into just your space where 
you encounter them and look them in the eye and speak to them as a human being, as like a brother or sister, and so that they know they're welcome in your space. Um, it could look like getting to know someone and welcome them into your home. It could look like welcoming, welcoming them into your business or church. But uh, welcome is primarily what we need to posture our hearts to do mm -hmm. and posture our bodies to do and put ourselves in the place where we can welcome people, yeah. where we're not separated from them. Primarily, as we discussed, they need homes. Um, we do a lot of dancing around it with different services or meals or whatnot. Primarily, they need homes. And so all of us have the ability to welcome people into our presence. And um, as a, kind of as a church or as a group or as a society or as individuals, we need to be thinking about how do we bring home um, to folks, homes of stability and safety and also, uh, like a home in the community where they're not mm. ostracized, but they're really part of the community. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd say those are uh, kind of the, the primary needs. And secondarily, there's a lot of symptoms of homelessness that we've touched on, such mm -hmm. as addiction mm -hmm. and such as mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, especially lack of support is mm -hmm. really associated with it. Mm -hmm. um, disability and being elderly are huge risk factors. So... Uh, we also need to find ways to address those uh, special needs of people with mental mm -hmm. illness, people with schizophrenia, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the really intense disabilities. How do we become a, a community that is welcoming to folks who are schizophrenic and not likely to throw them in jail because they're having a mm -hmm. issue or whatnot? How do we become a community where um, the elderly among us are loved and cared for as our own grandparents? Um, how do we become a community where we see people experiencing homelessness as just as valuable as anyone else and even see them as uh, a way for us to have a relationship with Jesus in our midst? You know, how do we flip the script on like, how do we help these poor people to thank God we have an opportunity to encounter <laughs> God in this relationship? Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much. So as you're talking, as you know, my husband is a physician. And, and so a lot of times people will see me or stop me, especially when we lived in a smaller town, people would stop me and tell me their ailments. And I would be like, take some Motrin and drink lots of fluids, but they would come to me. So anyway, so there's these things that I've picked up from being around my husband. And so I know that the ABCs of very important care, like triage type stuff. It's, it's ABCs, it's, it's airway, it's breathing, and then it's circulation. And so what I hear you saying is that housing is the A, housing is the airway. Let, let's do this first. Mm -hmm. Let's give them some, some stability and some support. And then we can begin to, to take care of these other things. That's really wonderful. And uh, that was just a really beautiful answer. You know, you talked about a lot of things, like you talked about this whole person care, you know, there's so many things at play when it comes to being functional. It's like, there's physical health, there's mental health, there's substance abuse, there's low wages, there's, you know, I, I was thinking about the, just the difficulty of paperwork. Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, I mean, I don't know where my birth certificate is and yeah. I have two 
two very supportive, loving parents, you know? And, um, and so all of these, these things that, that feel overwhelming to me as, like I keep saying, a person with no significant disabilities to speak of who has a lot of support. Um, so you see what I'm saying, but mm-hmm. when it cl- comes to this glaring tragedy of, of homelessness, there are very significant holes in our society's safety nets. Um, who ultimately is responsible? I think we all share the responsibility. I mean, I wouldn't say we all share it equally, but we all uh, have in some ways neglected the needs of others. We've turned a blind eye to others. Um, Our societal obsession with ID and paperwork um, is a huge problem. What, What you were mentioning, it really can't be overstated how difficult it is for someone experiencing homelessness who's very likely to lose all of their paperwork of course. to get it. And you need all of that to get housing. Um, to mm-hmm. get HUD, you have to have a social security card and an mm-hmm. ID. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever I've walked with someone through the process of getting all their ID and getting HUD, it was apparent to me that they could have never done any of that without support um, because they needed an address to send it to. Sure. Um, so there's there's glaring holes in the process of getting housing as far as ID goes. Just the whole profit motive when it comes to housing is a huge crime against people experiencing homelessness. Just just the desire to ha- raise your own property values um, that mm. a lot of us, you know, that most of us experience who are homeowners. Um, we need to stop and realize that that makes the whole community less accessible to a, a whole lot of people. So, um, you know, that's that's pretty convicting. Um, folks experiencing homelessness go to jail all the time. And um, one of the big problems there is that if you give someone a ticket who's experiencing homelessness, it's the same as sending them to jail because there's about a 0% chance that they're going to be able to, to pay that pay ticket. ticket. Um, there's there's just no stability there. There's not enough income. You know, if you don't even have a home, what are the chances you're going to be able to set aside money for a ticket, any money? So, you know, people go to jail constantly and you can get a ticket for sleeping outside. You mm-hmm. know, people go to jail for being homeless. You can yeah. get a ticket for all kinds of things, jaywalking, whatnot. Um, and of course, people are thrown in jail for all other reasons. Um, addiction being one of them. But the fact that we criminalize homelessness so much. Uh, and I've seen it time and time again, when, whenever we're able to house someone long-term, someone who goes to jail all the time, they just don't go to jail that whole time. So a home is a <laughs> wow, huge yeah. uh, intervention there. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd say those are some of the big ones at yeah. least. And you and I, you know, have been working on some policy changes together. Yes. You know, there's a lot of little things that you might not think of. Um, you know, for example, our local electric company, BTU, um, has a reconnection feed. This is this could be a whole other podcast, so I'll keep it brief. But um, just something as simple as a reconnection fee once you're unable to pay your electricity bill is completely excessive. And it's putting the poorest among us at the biggest disadvantage. And it's impossible to get ahead. People who are working very, very hard trying to get ahead can't get ahead, can't stay ahead um, with an exorbitant fee like that. So, so some policy changes, um, you know, people using their gifts to, to come together. I'm thinking of, you know, a lot of my administrative type friends that would love to help somebody get their paperwork in order. I mean, what a, what a gift to be able to give someone who's struggling with that. Um, so I, I feel like that it's because it's affecting, um, more people. Um, I do feel like there is more 
um, it's more visible. And mm-hmm. so what do you have to say to people who continue to turn a blind eye to this great need? And do you have something in particular to say to the Christian? Um, I would say uh, turn a blind eye at your own peril because <laughs> <laughs> for multiple reasons. John the Baptist. But, <laughs> Primarily because God is just, and you know we don't want to test God's patience in this. And um, Jesus says, uh, "Whatever you did to the least of these, you did also to me." Um, and that's it. Sounds like bad news, but it, it's good news that we can have a relationship with Christ that's incarnational in our relationship mm. with mm. people experiencing homelessness. So uh, it's like Dorothy Day says: like it's no use to say, "Well, I was born two thousand." years too late to give a room to to Virgin Mary and Christ because uh, Christ is always there knocking on our door in the door of our hearts. But it requires us to have compassion, which means that we suffer with that person. Um, you know, when it comes to the ABCs, for me, the ABCs of experience and homelessness are one, we have to be willing to go to the cross with people. You know, these mm-hmm. are people who are kind of like suffering a crucifixion by our society. You know, they've been kind of like abandoned and we're willing to let them suffer. Um, we have to be willing to walk with them. We have to be willing to throw away our own ideas of success and failure mm-hmm. because often wow. we feel like I will be successful if I help this person to achieve the goals I have for them, yeah. which is a mistake oh. I've made a lot in the past. Yeah, And, uh, you can get really burnt out and you can get really bitter. Mm. And that's where that idea of like some people choose to be homeless. It tends to Mm -hmm. come from, I tried to help somebody. It didn't work for them to achieve the goals that I felt were correct. It must've been them choosing homelessness. Um, So we need to be willing to let go of what we think is success and failure and see that our success is just in having a human relationship with someone who we used to, dehumanize. You know, it has to come from a place of repentance um, or else uh, it's, that's just not a human relationship. You know, when I get together with my brothers, my brother and sister for family reunion, I'm not thinking, is this going to be successful in helping them? I'm thinking mm. I want to enjoy their company, mm. experience each other's presence. And that's really what it's about. And part of that is we care for each other's needs. But it also has to be they care for my needs as well. You know, it has to be what am I giving, but also what are they giving? They're human. Part of dignity is the ability to give back. So we work towards like human relationships and not social service relationships or like you're you're not a number. You're not a case to be managed. Yeah. You know? Oh, my gosh. That's so beautiful. No agenda. I just delight in you. Yes. Uh, how about that? That is really, really lovely. Thank you for that, Dan. I love that you brought up, you know, what Dorothy Day said. Mother Teresa, she had a sign over her door that said, um, I thirst. And mm-hmm. the reason why is it was the same idea of, you know what? Jesus was thirsty after being on the cross. He, he cross, he had lost a lot of blood and had endured so much. And there he was with this really basic need. He was thirsty. And it grieved Mother Teresa that she couldn't help him in that moment. And then you hear, you know, the scripture of whatever you did to the least of these you you did to me. So you're right. I can't I can't give Jesus anything to drink in that moment. But 
I can feed these people. I can clothe these people. I can visit these people um, mm-hmm. in prison. So I, I love that so yeah, much. And you truly are doing it for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's really lovely. Thank you. Okay. I would like to know, I want to know what you're hopeful for at mm-hmm. the very end, but I want to hear really specifically exactly what's going on at Tiny Hope Village right now. Okay. So like just this moment. Sure. Um, we're getting really close to finishing the first two homes and uh, our first two residents are Mama Susie and Miss Alice. And so we're really excited about them moving in soon. We are have the cabinets about done. There's Buck the Builders building our cabinets for us for free. He's giving it to us. And so we're trying to figure out when they can be installed. We're painting the interiors and part of the exteriors this weekend. So we are just about to, we're kind of right on the cusp of being done with the home. So the first two residents can move in and we have the third resident chosen. We're in the process of figuring out the fourth because we we've begun construction on homes three and four and we're fundraising so that we can finish construction. Um, We're fundraising for home four. How much do you need? So we need 30,000 more dollars. We've raised, uh, 15,000. So we're one third of the way to home four. Okay. So each home costs about $45,000 is what I'm hearing you say. Yes. Okay. So sinners, saints, sisters, did you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get home four built. Shall we, Dan, what are you hopeful for? Um, I'm hopeful and excited about the residents moving in because uh, they know more about homelessness than any of us. And so learning from them how we're going to end homelessness for our brothers and sisters and how we're going to build this community of Tiny Hope Village and how we're going to run it, what the rules will be, how we'll operate it. I'm uh, hopeful and excited and a little more than a little fearful about it as well. That's what I'm hopeful for. Yeah. Well, praying with you every step of the way. I want to come. I have supported you from afar for too long. Like I'm ready to come get my hands dirty, Dan. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Come on. There's, there's plenty to do and you can get very dirty. Doing it. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, tell us where to go. Um, tell us exactly where to go and how to give. Okay. Um, our website, it's tinyhopevillage.org. And we have a Facebook that's just Tiny Hope Village. Those are both um, good ways to give. Um, our Facebook, we keep it updated with what's going on. Um, and if you want to be on our newsletter mailing list, uh, reach out to us and we can put you on that. So, um, yeah, we'd appreciate your donations. And if you're in the area, we'd love to put you to work out there and get and introduce you to the residents. And um, we still have the potluck meals ongoing, mm-hmm. which inspired Tiny Hope Village. And those are every Sunday at 1.30 at Neal Park. Rain or shine, we, we never skip. I love it. Okay. That's good to know, too. Awesome. Dan, you do um, so much for our community and you do it with conviction. You do it with boldness. But my favorite thing, Dan, is that you do it with humility. And that seems paradoxical. It's like um, someone who's bold, who is who is also humble. You are so quick to admit when you're wrong or to take a step back if you need to. But I love the ways you step forward. And Uh, I'm just so grateful for you. You're so lovely. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's very kind. Yeah, I I love this. (laughs) This was great. All right. Thanks, you guys. All right. You know where to go and you know what to do. See ya. Sinners, saints, sisters, do you need a speaker for your event? Do you need someone to lead your retreat? It would be all my joy to serve and spread God's love to you and the people you gather with compassionate leadership, Bible-based teaching, authentic life stories, and a lot of laughter at heart. You can reach me at sinnersaintsister at gmail.com. Beep, beep. Beep, 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 beep. Hi. Okay. Hi. 
My very favorite thing about Dan is how strongly he takes his convictions. Oh my gosh, that's exactly what I was going to say and what I noticed. Um, this was such a well-timed um, interview for me to listen to because just this weekend, um, there's actually a tent community of um, people experiencing homelessness popping up at the back of mm. my neighborhood. And so there's like a ditch and tents are starting to appear there. Mm. And my neighborhood mom's group, um, there was all these emails flying on it. Um, and people had really big feelings and big opinions. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it got... Um, harsh quickly. Um, so I stayed quiet on the issue because I inherently knew that I needed to learn more. And I was so grateful to be able to start to do that with Dan. Um, I just feel like I have fresh eyes on the issue. Our church is actually just um, like two weeks ago, sent out an email that we have had more people that are experiencing homelessness come to the church doors to ask for all kinds of help um, and resources than we have in the last several years combined. Yeah. Um, so I was just thinking about that the whole time that I was listening. Um, but the other thing I was thinking is he is focused. I was listening yeah. to all of his knowledge and innovation and you know, I was feeling envious and, and definitely inspired to get after it. Oh my gosh, you're totally after it. No, with with fostering. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You totally yeah. get after it in your own way, Beef. Thank you. I mean, that's that's true. And that's the work that God has given me to do right now, I think, and my family. But um, not only am I so delighted to support what God's given Dan to do, but mm -hmm. I feel just new motivation to roll up my sleeves with what he's given me to do. Yeah. Dan definitely makes me work harder. Um, I was, you know, mentioning early on that he reminds me of the of John the Baptist, like this, mm -hmm. this, you know, just feisty, rascally Bible character. And um, what the the thing about John the Baptist is that he so clearly understands why he's been set apart and then he has no mm -hmm. trouble being set apart. And I feel like that's really rare. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I think being set apart can often be just really lonely and mm -hmm. painful, especially when you when you feel like you see a problem so clearly and you have great ideas and you feel like equipped to know how to fix it. Um, yeah. And then you can't make other people feel as urgently as you do about it. And that's just exhausting. Yeah, I know that you know how that feels. Um, it's like, you know, the frustration of trying to make people understand something holy is uh, by, and by holy, I mean completely, um, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. understand completely this problem um, with something that's really important to you. Do you, this is a personal question for me. Do you have advice about how to stay pleasant while trying to make people understand a problem? Because I am feeling really cynical and sad lately. It's like I'm looking around at other Christians who don't seem to be bothered um, by mm -hmm. poverty and it, I'm having a really, really hard time. I am so cynical and sad. Mm, um, I should not have the answer to that, but I, I, our pastor actually just talked on a related issue yesterday and what she was talking about is that, um, I mean, the tough love part is that we just have to humble ourselves, right? Yeah. We don't know everything there is to know. We don't know, um, you know, what other people are feeling or what their experiences are and that we're the body and we're each called to do different things. Um, and so not only just about the topic that we care about or the work that God's given us to do, but um, we have to be open to other people or feeling other things and being called to other stuff. And we can fill in the blanks and we assume um, and we think that we're experts on all of those things, yeah. um, but that's just leads to a lack of humility. Right. Yeah. But I think on Definitely. the other side, right. Like we have to keep educating people and we can't, you know, we, people don't know what they don't know. And so that's why I'm so grateful for this podcast. It matters. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing here matters. And mm -hmm. you know, what Dan's doing matters and we have to keep talking. Yeah. Thanks, Beefy.
So I should quit having anxiety attacks in church? <laughs> well, I mean, if we get stronger anxiety attacks, they'd be called like anxiety invitations or something. <laughs> ah, just take care of you, beef. Focus on Jesus. Give Dan all the dollars. Go love your neighbor. That's all we can do, right? That there is some solid advice. That's really good. Focus on Jesus. Give Dan the dollars and go love your neighbor. I like it. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, beef. Love you. Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for being here. A very special thank you to all guests and sponsors. A really special thank you to Taylor Schroll for mixing and editing. For more content, you can head over to Instagram at Allison M. Sully and TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. You can also check out Forte Catholic and subscribe there where you have a 25% chance of hearing me co-host. I am so grateful for all of the love and support that we offer each other here. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.